And the season of epiphany in which we are is a season of revelation. It's a season of, a season of revealings, of appearances. And that's what you see in all of the lessons, uh, especially the gospel, where Jesus uh, reveals and appears and, and reveals something about himself in that whole process. Um, and so this morning we're going to have several actual epiphanies shown to us. Uh, it all has to do with all the way from the almost beginnings of time, people have wondered about God and wondered about their gods uh, if they thought there was more than one because all the cultures had different explanations about how the world came to be and what we as humans have a place in it. How does that work out? And so all of those, whether they tried to reach God by meditation or whether they tried to reach God by drug inducement or whether they tried to actually build a tower that would reach up to God so they could chat with the deity and find out and get some answers to the mysteries, they all had one thing in common and that was us trying to reach up to God. Well, the revelation from Deuteronomy this morning in which it talks about it is exactly the opposite. It is God coming down to people. Imagine yourself being an Israelite and gathered at the foot of Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai as it's also called. And you hear God's coming down for a visit. And you think, wow, that's going to be amazing. We're finally going to meet face to face with the God who caused the Egyptians to cry uncle with all the all the plagues he, he put on them, and then he opened the Red Sea for us to go through. This must be some God. I can't wait to see what he is like. But as that epiphany takes place, one thing becomes clear. This was not a good idea. As nature erupts, as that voice thunders out, the people standing by cry out in fear. Moses himself says, I'm trembling in fear. And the thought comes to mind, what in the world were we thinking that we wanted to see this? For it's become very obvious that this God is an alien being. In the truest sense of the word, he is not like us. There is nothing in which there is something like us. He's vastly superior to us. He has more power and strength than we do. He is of a superior intelligence and even worse, he is our moral superior. That is, he has the perfect right to judge and condemn every one of our thoughts, words, and deeds that do not please him. And if we make any attempt to rationalize or explain our behavior when he does call us to account, we're going to fail. And if we try to make ourselves look better by saying, well, yeah, maybe I've done this, but take a look at that person over there. They're really bad. It's just going to laugh. Because unlike most of our teachers, God does not grade on the curve. So now, far from satisfying our ability to, to see our maker and to understand what our place is, we want to run from him in terrifying hide among the cliffs with the other children of Israel. Hope that maybe he'll go back to where he came from and leave us alone. Well, this revelation, this epiphany, was a terrifying event. And like Israel, maybe we want to say, we want no more of it. 
And so some of them cried out, we're not going to hear this voice anymore. We are not going to see this fire. We shall not die. How much to our surprise and relief, God agrees with them. And he says, what they have said is good. That is very good. And those words bring another epiphany, another revelation about God. And that is, despite his terrifying appearance, he understands our weaknesses. He is sympathetic to who we are. He took pity upon our fears. And so, throughout that long journey from Mount Sinai to the Promised Land, God spoke only to Moses. God spoke to Moses, Moses spoke to the people, and communication with God was carried out effectively. But then that day came where in which there was another circumstance arises, and Moses tells the people, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to be able to go with you into the promised land after all. And the thought comes to the people, oh no, does that mean we're going to have to experience the presence of God once again? and be frightened out of our wits. And Moses conveys to them the good news. No. God is going to raise up a prophet like me from amongst ourselves, and he's the one you will listen to as he speaks for God and continues in the tradition that I began. Now at the same time as this reading from Deuteronomy takes us back to those events in a way that we stand there along with them, and, and experience the order, awesome terror of God, just like those who participate in the Passover meal every year are taken back to that very same event. So we stand there with them, but we know a little bit more than they do. Unlike them, we know how the book of Deuteronomy ends. And the book of Deuteronomy ends with someone adding a final paragraph. It wasn't Moses, it was written and added long after Moses. And that author says, to this day, there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those miraculous signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt. And you know what? By the time the New Testament era comes around, people still didn't believe that God had fulfilled that promise yet. And these were people who had been served by the likes of Elijah and Elisha, of Isaiah and Jeremiah, of Ezekiel and Daniel. Great prophets. And yet the feeling lingered, yes, but. Yes, but it still hasn't reached culmination yet. And so when, the John, when the John the baptizer arises on the scene, people rush out to him. And one of the questions they ask him, are you the prophet? The one we've been expecting. And he has to disappoint them with his answer. No, I am not. And yet, several years later, that prophecy, that promise was fulfilled. Peter explains to a crowd that it wasn't John the Baptist, it was none other than Jesus who was that prophet. He was the one who God literally raised up from the dead from among their brothers. His miracles testified to it. His prophecies came true. And John wants us to know it in his gospel. He says, if, if, if Moses saw God face to face, in some sense, Jesus is always standing at the side of the Father. 
Whereas Moses revealed God's law and justice, Jesus came to reveal God's mercy and his grace by his death and resurrection for us. So what does it mean for us and our relationship to this God whose presence caused fear and trembling, who out of mercy wouldn't show his real face to Moses? He said, I can't do that. You'll die if I do. Well, we still need a mediator. We still need one who will speak to God on our behalf because we're still sinners. Jesus, knowing our every weakness, does exactly what Moses did. He stands before God and pleads our case, just as Moses went before God on numerous occasions and pleaded the case of the Israelites when they sinned. And like Moses, Jesus is heard. Our sins are forgiven on account of his role as mediator, as well as through his death and resurrection. And that trust in his office as our mediator kind of tempers our fears. It does not remove them because God is an awesome, terrifying being to see in person. But it does temper our fears. It reminds us we still need a mediator because we are still sinners. But yes, God is still our creator and judge. Yes, he still calls us to account for the things we do wrong against him and against our neighbors. As Paul says, we must all stand before the judgment seat of God. As the New Testament says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And in his first epistle, Peter says, if the judgment begins with the house of God, where's it going to end? If the righteous are scarcely saved, what's going to happen to those who disobey the gospel of God? Tempering those serious thoughts about God and his judgment are these words also from the New Testament. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He appeared. His epiphany came so that he might take our sins away. And because he has purified us from our sins, we have the confidence to stand before God, our creator, who is even more our redeemer. Even though the Israelites stood before that fiery mountain in fear, they also knew that God's had not, God had not planned this for their destruction. That was not God's last word. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had made a promise to them. Despite their fears, their faith in that promise gave them the confidence to say, as they experienced it, we are not going to see this again. We are not going to see this fire or hear this voice. We shall not die. Well, your faith in mine in the crucified Messiah gives us the confidence to believe that something greater than God's fearful presence is here among us. Jesus' appearance in our world gives you and me the confidence to believe that God is really for us, not against us, despite how he looks. And yes, we too must stand before the judgment seat of God to give account, but here's the good news. We're not standing there alone. Jesus, the advocate, stands alongside us and mediates our case because he has promised whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And because of that promise, we too have the confidence to say, along with those Israelites, we shall not die.
The revelation of an empty tomb guarantees that. Amen.